Good morning, Sovereign Grace. How are you guys doing? It is awesome to be here with you once again. Um, for those of you who don't know who I am and why is this strange guy up here speaking today, my name is John Hall, and uh, I am the Executive Director of AIM for India, and we are a mission organization that works in the nation of India. Uh, we build schools over there, and we have a, a school currently, and so I've, I've given updates in the past here before, and talked about uh, our ministry in India. So I just want to give you a quick update, and then we'll get right into the sermon and, and get after it. So Aim for India, the uh, short story is, we've had a great second year of school. I mean, things in India are going fantastic. And so it's just awesome how God has blessed us and how God has been good to us uh, over the course of this year. And so we currently have 163 kids at our school. And so we are, uh, we're going strong. And so our, our school is a preschool and, uh, early elementary. So our oldest kids are first graders. And so next year we'll have a second grade class. And the year after that we'll have a third grade class and so on and, and so forth. And so our 163 students are all healthy. They're doing great. They're doing well in school. And so things are going fantastic. So what we've done is we've built a ground floor and our ground floor has six classrooms on it. Six classrooms will hold 30 students each. So we have a capacity for 180 students. We currently have 163, so we're just about at capacity. And so we are running out of room. So we decided we would build a second floor uh, to be able to uh, do that. And so what we've done is, by building, uh, by going ahead and starting the construction of the second floor, we're about halfway through the process. And so if anyone here today has a uh, $30,000 they'd like to give so we can finish the second floor, we're, we're all for that. So just to, just to let you know. But things are, are really going fantastic. We, we appreciate the support so much of Sovereign Grace. You guys have been behind us in the past, and you continue to support us. And, and it's just been fantastic and incredible. So the school side of things in India are going fantastic. The ministry side of things in India are also going fantastic. Uh, last year, we just completed, we wrapped up a five-year uh, training program for 130 pastors in India. And so these guys uh, came in, and some of them didn't even know what theology was. And they walk out five years later, they're sound doctrinally, and they're leading good, healthy churches, and it's just incredible to see. And so what we've done is we've stepped back from those guys, and we said, you know what, you no longer need us. We need to be somewhere else doing this over again. And so we basically started over with 80 new pastors, gone a little further out. And so there are 80 pastors that are now coming to the training. They're in year one of the training, and things are going well in that aspect. So it's always encouraging to me when I go to India, and I see these guys who are leading healthy churches, and they're doing well, and those churches are doing well. And then we go a little further out, and there's guys who are getting training, and they're coming across things for the first time. It's just incredible to see what God is doing there. And so, again, we couldn't do that without you guys. And so we so appreciate uh, your support and what you do for us. And so basically the short story is things are going great in India. If you want to know details and you want to ask me questions, I'll be here after the service and be glad to talk India as long as you want to talk India. And so that would be fantastic. But with that said, let's go ahead and let's uh, jump into the Scripture. We're going to be in Philippians 3 today. And so we will get to the text here in a minute. Philippians 3, we're going to look at the first 11 verses. And as you uh, 
as you look for there, I just want to go ahead and uh, start off with this. You know, I, I watch people, and I, I get to go to several places throughout, and, I, and, and it's interesting the conversations that I have and watching people and observing people. And I, I watch people a lot in this world struggle with the doctrine of God's sovereignty over their lives. That's really a hard one for a lot of people to grasp and come to terms with, and that's, that's really hard for the world to wrestle with, to submit to the authority of God in their lives. They don't want to be accountable to anyone or anything, much less God, and so they just struggle with that. But not only is God in control of all things at all times, and I firmly believe that, but he's also fundamentally and foundationally good and holy and righteous. And so what this means is, so at one time, the guy who's in ultimately in control is also a just God and he's a loving God, which is a great God to have in control, is it not? I mean, if you're going to have a God be in control, I, I want that God to be in control. And that's the God that we have. And that's just an awesome thing. Ephesians 2 tells us that our God is rich in mercy. And so if you're going to have a God be rich in anything, I want a God who's rich in mercy. And so he's just doling out mercy because he's got so much of it. And so that's a fantastic and a beautiful thing. But here's the other side of that coin that a lot of times we don't think about with this doctrine. If God is in control at all times over all things, and he is, then guess who's not in control? Us. We're not. You're not in control. I'm not in control. We, so there, there's just a lot of things that we can't control. And as a result of the failure to believe in God's sovereignty, people come to believe a myth. And the myth is this. The myth is that we can control things. And so while we, we step back, we realize I can't control everything. I mean, I, I can't control everything that's out there, but I can control the things that pertain to my life. I, I can hang on to these things, and I, I, I can keep these things close. And so these things will be mine, and I'll, I'll hang on to them. And in particular, I can control the outcome of my life so that it brings maximum benefits to me. Right? I mean, that's what we want to control. Said another way, I believe I know what is best for me, and I will pursue whatever makes me happy in this life. And in reality, if we're honest and we're objective about our own lives, a lot of us do that. And that's just reality. So we set out on this trajectory in life, and we're going to pursue what we believe is best for ourselves. What we mean for good, doing that ends in tragedy. We set out, and we mean it for the best, but it ends in tragedy because we end up making an idol of those things that we believe to be best. Do you understand that? So whatever I'm going to go pursue that's going to make me happy, what ends up happening in the end is that I make an idol of that thing, and I end up worshiping that thing rather than the true God of the universe. Therefore, we spend our lives chasing sin instead of good. We mean to end up with life, but instead we end up with death because that's all sin brings. That's all sin is capable of bringing, by the way. So when you pursue sin, you're pursuing death. And, and that's just the reality. And that's what Scripture would spell out for us. So we end up being closed-fisted with our own lives. So I, I often talk about it this way. A lot of us will say to God, I'll make a deal with you. I'll make a bargain with you, God. You can have this, and you can have this, and you can have this, and you can have this in my life, but I'm going to hang on to this. This is mine. I, I'm, I'm going to keep this for me. You can have all these other things in my life, but this is mine. 
And you know what this is? This is your idol. This is your idol. And what we end up being is we end up being closed-fisted with our own lives. I'm going to run my life, God. I've got this. I can take care of this. You take care of the rest of the world. I'll take care of me. It's idolatry. It's sin. So let's call it for what it is. It's evil. Okay? And so that's what we end up doing. So we pursue what we think is the best set of circumstances for ourselves with the faulty belief that the pursuit of happiness and comfort are going to make me whole and they're going to make me satisfied. And that's false. It's not right. So you understand just because you believe something doesn't make it right or good. Okay? It would be like somebody saying, hey, you know what? I don't believe that if I went camping at the altitude of 20,000 feet in the Himalayas in just my short and T-shirts that I would freeze to death. I don't believe that would happen. And you can go up there in your shorts and T-shirts, and that's not going to prevent you from freezing to death. I mean, you understand that, right? I mean, you're going to need gear in that condition. I mean, you're not just going to need layers. You're going to need specific gear to survive that. You may even need oxygen. You can't go camping in those set of circumstances and survive it. And just because you believe that's not true doesn't mean it's not going to happen to you. So here's the reality. In much the same way, your faulty belief that you're going to lead yourself to life, goodness, righteousness, holiness, and fulfillment by you being in control doesn't make that true. You understand that, right? So Scripture would tell us a different story. Paul had a different path, a different way of life. And so I want us to read this together. Paul had this completely different way of seeing things. He looked beyond the circumstances of life. He didn't care about the circumstances. In fact, in Philippians, he's writing this from prison. He's in jail. He's chained. And they're allowing him to write this letter. I mean, he's chained up. He can't go anywhere. If it was me, I'd be crying, why me, God? Why me? But you got to listen. He has a different way of seeing life. And, and I just don't see many people doing this today. See, the problem with the pursuit of happiness is that it's dependent upon circumstances being just right. And you understand, you can have those things taken away from you in a moment. There's not anyone in this room that's not a single phone call away from having your life changed. And that's just the reality. See, Paul endeavored to pursue joy in the eternal assurance of Jesus Christ. In the eternal assurance that Jesus is in control and that he's got everything working out to his ends and his means. And it was from this perspective that he endeavored to pursue what got him more of Christ. I want in this life whatever gets me more of Christ. That's what Paul's take on it was. This is his philosophy. This is the way that he lives. He says, I'm going to pursue whatever gets me more of Jesus. And so what I want us to do is I want to recognize, I want you to recognize in the text we're about to read. The blatant, unblushing pursuit of what gets Paul more of Christ. Here we are. First 11 verses, chapter 3. Here we go. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. I want to remind you, he's writing this in chains from prison. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless that's quite a claim right there that's pretty impressive 
Verse 7 says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at what Paul is saying to us in this moment. So we start off in verse 1, and he's getting to his point and the final point of his letter. And so he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord is basically the last thing he wants to start off saying. He says, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. I want you to have joy in the things that Christ is doing. I, I want that to be the essence of what brings joy to your life. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. What are the same things that he's writing? What, what is no problem for him to write the same thing? What are these same things that he's referring to? It's basically the thing that Paul writes about over and over and over. If you read the New Testament, in every letter he writes about, he writes about the gospel. And so this is the essence of what he's writing about over and over and over again. The fact that Christ has accomplished these things for us, that he defeated sin, that he defeated death, and because of this, he's imparted or he's given his righteousness to us. So you don't have to live by your righteousness. You get to live by his righteousness. And so that's why I can rejoice in the Lord to write these things. It's no problem. I love writing about these things. And what else is it? It's safe for you. Why is it safe for you? Now, this is important that you hear this. If, if, if anything, part of the Christian life is what it means to chase or to pursue what gets you more of Christ, what Paul is talking about here. But it's also safeguarding your heart and safeguarding your life against things that can trip you up and cause you to stumble along the way. It's safe for you. Why is it safe for you? Because anything outside of the gospel is a lie. Anything outside of the gospel is not going to be able to fulfill you. Anything outside of the gospel is not going to lead you to life. And so those things are important. So he's stressing this. It's no problem for me to write to you about the gospel again because I want to make sure that you have every part of your life centered around this thing. And it's safe for you. It's what protects you. It's what's going to keep you in line. And so those things are important. Then he tells us specifically in verse 2, he says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. In other words, be aware of this. Be on guard against this. Make sure that you understand who these guys are. So who are they? Who are the dogs? Who are the evildoers? That's a weird thing to say, those who mutilate the flesh. What is, what is he talking about in that manner? And he, so he's really referring to those people who would practice religion apart from Jesus Christ. Who would chase a religious dogma and a set of rules apart from the grace that Christ has imparted to us. Those who practice religion in their own strength and own power. And so the key to understanding who they are is in the phrase, those who mutilate the flesh. And so in this phrase, what Paul's discussing is he's talking about the covenant sign of Israel and circumcision. And so he's referring to those people who would say to you, hey, listen, if you want to be a good Christian, here's what you have to do. You have to perfectly keep the law of Moses plus believe in Jesus and that is what essence will make you right with God. And what Paul would come back and say in the book of Galatians 
he would say, that's heresy. That's apostasy. That stuff is deserving of someone burning in eternity. So it's the gospel plus nothing. It's the gospel alone that saves us. And this is what Paul emphasizes over and over and over again, is that you cannot do it on your own. There's no way that you have the power within you to be righteous. There's no way you have the power within you to live right with God. And so those things are incredibly important. So the belief was, as long as you were in the right religious club, then you were good with God. And so that's what these people would teach. The belief was, as long as you jumped through the right religious hoops, then you were golden. And so you were in right standing by God by what you could do. And Paul's screaming against that. He's saying, that's not true. That's not true. That will never be true. You can't do that. See, the pursuit of godliness apart from Christ is folly. It's foolishness. It's chasing after fool's gold. It will never happen. See, isn't it interesting that Paul paints a picture of evil as religion apart from Christ? I mean, I could look out at the world today and I could reference several things that we would all agree are evil. But the one evil that Paul is warning us against is not actual morality and things that are done out in the world that are horrendous things. The thing that he's warning us against is for you to be religious without Jesus Christ. That's an interesting definition of evil. And yet here is exactly what Paul is pointing out to us. And so he goes on and he says this. In verse 3 he says, We are the circumcision. As the body of believers, as the church, we're the circumcision. So this is what he's saying about circumcision. Circumcision is not something you do. It is something that you are in your heart because Christ has radically changed you. So we are the circumcision. And here's what the circumcision does. Here's what this group does. They do three things. They worship by the Spirit of God. You understand that worship is more than what you do in this hour? Worship is what value you place upon God. It's the way that you live your life outside of this place. Now, you show the value that you place upon God. So those who worship by the Spirit of God. So worship's not something that's just done corporately. Now, it's important you come together and you worship together. That's incredibly important. I I wouldn't downplay that. But I'm saying it's not just that. It's something that you do outside of this place as well. So so you worship God. You're going to worship something this week. I mean, we're just made to worship. It's going to pour out of us. And so we're either going to worship the God of the universe or we're going to worship something else in creation. That's sin. But the other is what Paul would exhort. So one, they worship by the Spirit of God. Two is they glory in Christ Jesus. So if you're going to glory in something in life, listen, you want to glory about Christ Jesus. Do you guys like basketball? I love college basketball. This is one of my favorite times of the year, getting to watch March Madness. Just love March Madness. And what I watch over and over and over again is depending on which college you went to and what school you're alumni of, these 68 teams that could participate in this tournament, these people glory in their teams. They stand up and they scream their heads off and they go crazy over a basketball team that in the end, regardless of what the outcome is, really isn't going to matter. And we spend a lot of time glorying in things like that But what if we gloried in Christ that way? What if that was an all-the-time thing for us? What if we made so much of Christ that we were known as his cheerleader? We were the guy who stood up and just 
gloried in Christ. So we worship by the Spirit of God. We glory in Christ Jesus. And here's the third thing Paul says. Absolutely never, ever, under any circumstances, put any confidence in the flesh. In other words, you never have any confidence in your own ability to go out and live for God in the way that you should. Why? Because you're going to fail. You do it on your own, you'll fail. You follow the Spirit, you'll be end up exactly where God wants you to be. Those who worship the Spirit, the God by the Spirit of God, those who glory in Christ Jesus, and those who put no confidence in the flesh. So at this point, I want you to understand something. Here's what Paul's saying in the text of the first three verses, very clearly that he's stating. You can either trust in yourself and set yourself up as the thing that you're going to place as the trust, or you can trust in Christ. And one is going to lead you to sin and death. The other is going to lead you to life. And so this is what Christ, this is what Paul rather is telling us. And so now he's going to transfer and he's going to tell you, here's why you don't put confidence in the flesh. Now he's, he's going to use an illustration of his own life. He's going to say, listen, if anybody here has any confidence in the flesh, it should be me. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? I mean, it'd be like Paul standing up in a group of people and saying, listen, I've accomplished way more in life than the rest of you losers. Okay, let's just admit it. I'm accomplished. You're not. I mean, that's basically what he's saying here. Listen to the things that he says. Now, here's his life, and he really is quite accomplished. He says, first thing he says, he says, I'm a patriot. He says, I'm a patriot of Israel. Listen, if anybody's Israelite here, I'm an Israelite. Listen, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's what you did according to the law of the people of Israel. Okay, I'm, I'm an Israelite, born in Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the smallest tribes. Yet it was the first tribe to have the king of Israel. King Saul came from the tribe of Benjamin. In fact, Saul may have been named in honor of the first king of Israel. We don't know that. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. And he says, basically, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. It would be like one of us saying, listen, if you cut me, I would bleed red, white, and blue. I mean, this is what, this is what Paul is saying. Listen, you want to claim to be an Israelite? I'm an Israelite. That's what he's saying in that moment. But he doesn't stop there. Listen, he goes far beyond just being a patriot. He says this, listen, I was also a Pharisee. As to the law, a Pharisee. And so what he's saying, this is my standing in society, is I belong to an elite group of Pharisees. I wasn't some aristocratic Sadducee who was just in this for power. I was a Pharisee who actually practiced what we preached. I was a Pharisee who went out and did those particular things. My zealous pursuit in this life was to chase down people that I believed to be traitors against Israel. And they were known as the church. I believed in my heart of heart at the time that I was persecuting the church, I was doing the right thing. And I went after it full blade. And and it wasn't something I just talked about. It was something I went and actually did. In fact, Paul would go on later and he would say, "I'm, I'm the chief sinner. If anybody has sinned here, I've sinned more. And the reason that he would go on to explain and basically say... I think one of the reasons that God saved me was to prove to other people they haven't gone too far. That you haven't sinned so much that God couldn't reach you with His grace. And so he goes on to say that. As to personal righteousness under the law, he says this, I was blameless. Listen to what he's saying. Man, I I was disciplined. I followed the law. I I chased after following the law. I made it the priority of my life. I, I went after these things. And let me tell you, the guy who lived it out is saying this to us. It's a dead end road. It won't get you to where you want to go. You can be as good at this as humanly possible, and it won't get you there. 
And so you'll miss out. And so then he switches gears in verse 7, and he begins to explain what is absolute craziness. Follow this. He says, this is the kingdom's crazy view of gain. This is what gain is in the kingdom of God. Okay? This is not gain according to an economic system. This is gain in the kingdom of God. Listen to what he's saying. But whatever gain I had in this life, meaning I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. As accomplished as I was in this life, it didn't add up. It didn't matter. So I I took those things and I counted them as a loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. Then he says some really crazy things in verse 8. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake... I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. By the way, in Greek, the word rubbish, it means a pile of heaping dung. There's no way to properly translate that in English. Okay? So they settled on rubbish. That's what the word means. So what Paul was saying is everything in this life ended up, I count it as a a heaping pile of dung compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, I want to ask you a question. He says, I count everything as loss. Does everything include bad things in your life? Yeah, absolutely it does. It would include taking care of bad things and getting rid of those. What about neutral things? What about things that are neither good nor bad? One of those things that you have in your life that's neutral is money. You realize that? I mean, you can do incredible good with money, and you can do incredible evil with money. So it's a neutral thing. It's neither good nor bad. It depends on the heart of the person using it and what they use it for. So those are, those are neutral things, but would, it, would everything even include, I mean, far be it, good things? Good things in our lives? Would Paul say that there's moments and instances that we need to do away with good things so that we get Christ? Absolutely. That's exactly what he's saying. Sometimes there are things in your life that are actually good things. They're not bad things. They're not neutral things. They're actually good things. But they don't get you more of Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? So we, we can make a laundry list of what those things are, but rather than take the time to do that, I just want to say to you, just because something in your life is good doesn't necessarily mean it's something that you ought to be pursuing. So what Paul's saying is, listen, I take everything in my life, whether it's bad, neutral, or good, and if it doesn't get me more of Jesus, I don't want any part of it. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to just shoot straight. I don't see many people who talk this way today. I don't see many people who think this way. I don't see many people who actually live this way. And here's what Paul is saying. He's like, I want more of Christ. I want more. I want more. If it's not going to get me Christ, I don't want any part of it. In fact, he's almost greedy in this sense. He's like, if it doesn't get me more of Jesus, I don't want anything to do with it i just want more of christ more of christ what's going to get me more of christ think about this he's writing this in a prison cell he's chained to a guy and he can't get away and he's saying this is what's going to get me more of christ and and can you imagine I mean, he's just an unstoppable guy think about all the things he's gone through so they could come in there and they could tell him paul if you don't 
shut up about this Jesus stuff. We're going to kill you. And he would say, well, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And they say, okay, okay, we're, we're not going to kill you. But listen, this is going to get really bad. We're going to torture you. We're going to make it really painful for you. And he would say, well, I don't compare the sufferings of this world to what awaits me in eternity. I, how do you stop a guy like that? You don't. He said, okay, well, we're going to bring five guards. And then, great, that's more people I can preach the gospel to. Bring them on. I mean, you just can't stop a guy like this. So his life is not based on the circumstances that he lives in. And being in this prison cell is not preventing him from getting Christ. It's actually leading to him getting more of Christ. I want more. I want more. I want more. It's almost like, listen, if you do this with a child and I have five boys, if you just give them more and more and more and more of what they want, you know what ends up happening to them? You spoil them. That's not a good thing. But it's almost as if God is saying to us in this text, hey, I want to spoil you. Would you come after more of Christ? Would you pursue more? I'll give you more and more and more. And this is what Paul is saying to us. And listen, I count everything. I count all those things as loss in my I count them as rubbish in order that I might get more of Christ. And verse 9 says, and to be found in him, to be found in Jesus Christ. So when people would go looking for me, that's where they would find me, is in Jesus Christ, to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now think about this. It's not having a righteousness of my own that comes from religious rule following. It's a righteousness that I didn't deserve. It's a righteousness that I didn't earn. Now, now, I, I want to stop right here. I, I, I don't know all of you, okay? And I, I don't know where you're coming from, and I, I don't know where you are in this walk of life. But I want to tell you something. That is good news. That is great news for you. And, and here's why. Because we've all blown it. There's not a person in this room that could stand on their own righteousness before God, and God would see them as righteous. It says that we've all sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, that none of us will be counted as righteous on our own efforts. So, so that's good news. So I want to be found in Christ, not a righteousness of my own, because listen, if you're going to go before God on your own righteousness, it's going to end bad. It's going to end really bad. It's going to end in an eternity in hell. And Christ has made a way. Christ on the cross died for our sins. He died for all of our sins. And the Bible says that however much you've sinned, there's more than enough grace to cover that. And that's a beautiful thing. So why would we pursue those things? But, but here's what happens. I see a lot of people who get saved and then they buy into this heresy that somehow I'm going to make God proud of me. I'm going to make God believe that I was worth dying for. And so I'm going to go crazy here on religion. And I'm going to go crazy here on rule falling. And what ends up happening to those people is, listen, they become so superior in their religious effort that everyone else around them doesn't get it. What I love about the parable of the prodigal son is that everybody gets the prodigal, don't we? I mean, we all understand that the guy was worthless. I mean, he chased after craziness. He blew it in the biggest way, and the father welcomes him back with open arms. It's a beautiful story. We all embrace that, but that's not the end of the story. 
the end of the story is that the older brother, the responsible one, the one who hung around the whole time, the one who didn't do crazy things with his life, the one who stayed and served his father the whole time, who got up early and went to work, worked late, and, and, and was there, and he was faithful, and he was dependable, and he was there. He comes in one day, and he's like, what's that noise going on over at the house? I mean, there, there's like a party's going on. And the servant comes and tells him, say, yeah, your brother came home, and your dad's like super excited, and he killed the fattened calf, and man, we're having a party, and it's a blowout celebration. you got to come join it. And what does the Bible say? He was mad. He was indignant. And he stayed out in the field. He wouldn't come back home. And the father had to come out to him in the field. And he says, hey, son, what's the deal? And his son gives him the speech. You know the speech? All these years, all these years, I was the guy you could count on. I was the guy that was dependable. I was the guy that was there. And this guy, he runs off and he blows your fortune chasing after craziness. And the day he comes home, you throw a party for him? Are you kidding me? You never threw a party for me. I was here the whole time. Is he not right? I mean, doesn't that, I mean, doesn't that just raise your level of indignation? It's like, he's right. What's going on here? And you know what the father's reply is? He says, your brother, he was dead. And he's alive now. He's lost. And he's been found. We had to celebrate. Now, now listen. There's a warning in there for us, is there not? You can become so right and so religious that you can't celebrate the fact that God saves sinful people. People in your own eyes that are less deserving than you. And when you get to the point where you see yourself as more deserving than other people that God saved, you're in the wrong camp. And this is what Paul's warning us against. That won't lead you to more of Christ. Get rid of that. Quit thinking you're going to earn it someday. You're going to make God proud of you. You're going to make God really proud of you because you did this and you did this and you did this. Listen, God had to send his son to die for you. That's how bad off you were. And if we ever forget that, then we lose sight of what makes us powerful. What makes us powerful is that we walk because we were dead and now we've been made alive. That I might know him. Verse 10. And the power of his resurrection. Don't we all want that? That I might know Christ and I might know the power of his resurrection. Who doesn't want the power of the resurrection? I want that. That's that's great stuff because those are the two things that Paul is pushing us towards to pursue in life. To know Christ. To know the power of His resurrection. And there's two ways to help us accomplish this. And this is where it gets a little sticky. Here here are the two ways that he says. That we may share His sufferings. Oh yeah, we're going to have a sign-up list in the back. Anybody wants more suffering? That's that's exciting news. To share in His sufferings, okay? Hang on. It gets a little crazier than that. And becoming like Him in His death. What gets me more of Christ? Then, then you're going to sign up for some rough things. And, and things that Paul would say, hey, being in jail, chained to these guys, that's, that's suffering. Okay? It's being like Christ in his death. 
and, and you're going you're gonna to run into some hardship. And this isn't going to be like a bed of roses. Like this isn't going to be now that you've got Jesus and you're pursuing him and you want more of him, that's just going to lead to beautiful ease for your life. That's not what he's saying. If you want to chase after Jesus, there's some realities here. And the realities is there's going to be suffering involved. It's not going to be easy. And that you're going to have to be like him in the fact that he died. Now listen to me. You know who gets resurrected? You know what has to come before resurrection? Let's say it that way. It's a better question. You've got to die. Like if you don't die, you don't get resurrected. You understand that, right? So the only people you can resurrect are dead people. And so if you want to get there, the first place you've got to go is you've got to go death. And Jesus says this, listen. I always tell my sons this. This is your secret weapon as a believer. You're already dead. I mean, you died with Christ. You've got nothing to lose. Nothing. And you, so he, he died on the cross. Romans 6 tells us that he nailed our old self to the cross with him and killed the part of us that was sinful and replaced it. And so we went to the grave with him and we'll come back out of the grave resurrected so that you could walk in what? A new life. Not the old life. It's not like the old life got remade. The old life got killed so that you could walk in a new life. And, and that's what Paul is pushing us towards. But listen, it, it takes some hard things. So he says in verse 11, just so we understand it, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Like I'm willing to go through suffering. I'm willing to go through death. I'm willing to go through whatever God puts in my path so that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. And the only way you do that is with Jesus Christ. There is no resurrection of the dead apart from Christ. And he's saying, I want what gets me more of Christ. That's what you pursue in life. That's what you make life about. And so this is critical. And here's the things that I want you to get. So if you, if you only take a few things from today's sermon, here, here's what I want you to understand. I want you to glory in Christ. I want you to celebrate the fact that Christ has died in our place and is willing to give us his righteousness so that we don't have to stand before God on our own. And allow that to be the focus of your life. And I want you to be on guard. And this is what Paul was saying. Be on guard. Be aware of substituting religion for the gospel. Religion won't get you there. The gospel will. Don't put faith in your own flesh. Don't put faith in your own ability to go and live that life for God. Pursue the things that get you more of Christ. That means getting rid of bad things in your life. Get rid of bad things in your life. Absolutely. Get rid of neutral things that are keeping you from getting more of Christ. Get rid of good things that are keeping you from getting more of Christ. That pursuit is important. And then attaining the resurrection by any means is living life with an eternal perspective rather than a circumstantial one. In other words, I'm not looking at the circumstances I'm living in. I'm looking down the road to eternity. And I'm looking at, I'm going to live my life with eternity in mind. And I'm going to say the things that I do here, the things that I do now are important because they have an impact towards that. Not for me, but for others. Listen, the biblical definition of love is basically this. The degree to which you're willing to go above and beyond to sacrifice yourself and to give yourself away for the sake of others. Is that not what Christ did on the cross? And so, in reality, that's the way that God wants us to live with that kind of perspective in mind. Let's pray, and uh, we'll close out here. Dear Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the beauty of your gospel. I thank you for 
I thank you for the reality of who you are and what you've done for us. I thank you that you're sovereign and in control and we're not. And I thank you that you have made a way when we never could. Those things are always good. Those things are always beautiful. I pray today if there are those who are struggling with the reality of their own sin, maybe there's some here today, Lord, that they don't know you. And maybe they've been confronted today with the fact that they are sinful and they are in need of a Savior. And, Lord, we know that to be true. I pray that today begin the process in which you would change their hearts. Maybe there are those today, Lord, who are struggling with the fact that they have guilt and shame in their life over the things that they've done. I pray that they would see the beauty and the reality of what you've accomplished and that you've taken all that away and there's no need to walk in that. Maybe there's others who put their faith in religion and effort and their own blood, sweat, and tears and, Lord, to, to try to, pe- to appease you and to please you. And I, I just pray that today that you would set them free from that. Whatever the case may be, Lord, as you deal with our hearts, pray that we would draw closer to you. I pray that we would pursue you. And I pray all these things in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen.